Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Here we go. A rational fear contains strong, coarse language and traces of nuts. FBI Radio recommends listening by an immigrant. Sure, audience. Tonight, Korean pop sensation Psy apologizes for anti-American rap, but we ask, when will he apologize for Gangnam Style? And the CSIRO warns that Australia is in danger of being the first nation on Earth to reach peak pie face. We interviewed filmmaker Liz Courtney, who shot an amazing picture of permafrost melting. We ask her, is it time to rename permafrost Melty Frost? That's tonight on Irrational Fear! Welcome to Irrational Fear, the show that tells you just how scared of the world you should be. Now, later on, I will be talking about the royal prank, and this this is a warning. There may be dodgy impressions in that. Before that, though, Scott Abbott, you've got a story about the Royal Commission. That's right. I'll be talking about the uh, Royal Commission into child abuse in uh, by all institutions in Australia. Uh, Catholic Church. <laughs> And Lewis Hobber, you're going to be looking closely at the Mayan desk calendar? Yeah, I've had a really good look at it, and it's pretty good. I mean, it's not like Gary Larson Farside good, but it's pretty good. <laughs> Zoe Norton-Large, you won't be buying any Channel 10 shares anytime soon? No, I'm just buying shares in Oz Stereo. <laughs> Great. Nina Oyama, it's been a big year for you. You've just finished high school! Yeah, and um, I'll be Woo! defending high school leavers, and I'll write to go to schoolies, take drugs, and get even higher school leavers. <laughs> And Will Anderson, as a homophobic professor might say, gay marriage? Disgust. Yeah, uh, my piece tonight is dedicated to Corey Bernardi, who thought that Noah's Ark was one gay marriage away from being fair, star of the punishment. <laughs> and Chris Taylor, you'll be previewing, uh, re- previewing some light summer reading. I will. I've just um, come across this book that's fantastic. Great for kids, if you need a Christmas gift idea. It's like got a great imagination and amazing flights of fancy. It's called The Bible. <laughs> great. <laughs> A Rational Fear, Australia's only show to not feature Toby Trusslove. It's not rocket science. Now, on Saturday when I woke up to the news, the nurse at the pivot point of the royal prank call had chosen to end her life. I was, I was floored. You know, it was, a, it was a really awful thing to happen. But being a comedian, unfortunately, my first thought was, oh no, this is going to be a bad week for comedy. Not for making jokes about this, because I'm sure given enough time, dare I say, a few paragraphs time, that will happen. Um, But this will be bad for comedy in the sense that uh, in the art, in in the sense of the art of examining the human condition through the manufacture of nonsense and comparing everyday life to genitalia, the craft that some of us, the craft that some of us foolishly try to make a living out of. Now, because as a comedian, when you create a joke, you never truly intend to hurt anyone. Make fun of people, sure. Ridicule them. Why not? Speak truth to power and expose hypocrisy, you know, just like the chaser do with politicians and sick kids. Fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
mean. It's, it's unfair to burden the pranksters with this horrible incident. Now, I do a TV show called Can of Worms. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's understandable if you haven't. It's on a television network um, in Australia called Channel 10. It's, it's like between Gem and SBS1. I don't know if you know... <laughs> I don't, know if you know, I don't know if you've heard of it. If you haven't heard of it, anyway. It's, Can of Worms is kind of like Q&A for Bogans. Um, <laughs> on that show, I have two roles. I play the hapless sidekick reading witty statistics off a computer screen with all the comedic value of an autistic dicky knee. Um, <laughs> my, it was different. It was different. Yeah, it was different. My other role on the show is to go out in public and do pranks on everyday people. Now... It's the job of my producer, uh, Lewis Hobber, and I to come up with basically any idea that will sufficiently annoy the fuck out of the public. It's a time-intensive and risky process. For instance, an episode where we were examining if celebrities are entitled to their privacy, we came up with this idea to turn everyday people into celebrities by attacking them with a team of paparazzi. Sure, seems like a pretty good idea on paper until you accidentally pap a guy who is spending his lunch break cheating on his wife. <laughs> or one prank where we were looking at whether it's okay to pervert people, I dressed up as a council ranger and gave out fines for people on, to people on the beach who were perving. Now, there are two things wrong with this. Uh, one, it's very much like a chaser sketch, but chances are they just probably ripped it off YouTube anyway, so it's not a big deal. And two... That's two. <laughs> two. Two. I've also got a microphone, Dan. <laughs> and two, there was a guy sitting on his own in Bondo Pavilion steps, just texting on his phone, enjoying the solace of an empty beach, until that is, I came up and gave him a fine. I did the script. It was really funny because he was defensive and confused and fuming internally. Every fibre of his body said, get the fuck away from me. It was comedy gold until I went back to him to get his signature on the release form. He didn't, want to ha he didn't want to have to sign. He didn't want to have our hilarious interaction broadcast on TV either because at that point he was too busy organising his mother's funeral in Ireland. I know what you're thinking. What a fucking selfish asshole. Doesn't he understand? We have a TV show to make! The thing is, you can never know when dealing with people in a prank uh, just what point things are going to turn bad. Um, now, before the tragic death of this nurse, nurse the only tragedy... That these radio, it was that these radio DJs weren't even famous enough to have their own names in the news reports um, because it was their second day in the job. They were just simply referred to as radio DJs. They didn't even have funny nicknames, you know. But if you read Twitter commentary, they'd certainly do now. It's, it's just a shame that this is going to be the career-ending moment for Dickhead and the Nurse Killer in the morning. <laughs> That's right. I expected that reaction. Because comedy is highly contextual. And in many ways, the way you frame a joke can make or break the joke. It's sort of like emotional maths. For instance, not soon after the hoax, Prince Charles arrived at the hospital and he made a witty quip. He said, oh, how do you know I'm not a radio station? To which the nurse replied, well, that's easy, Your Highness. There isn't a constant stream of bile and icy cold coke secreting from your body. And besides, you haven't tried to kill anyone since 1997. Now, if Prince Charles... Too soon, 1997. Man. Too soon. The date is in that joke. Context. Now, Prince Charles said that quip before the death of the nurse, so that was okay. But had he been witty after death, maybe not so good. But then again, if that joke was said by, I don't know, Prince Philip after the death, it would just be put down to dementia. So... <laughs> Now, everyone is looking for people to blame. The DJs, the radio station management, the journalists. Now, I doubt anyone will blame the hierarchical nature of British society, putting pressure on its citizens to show the utmost reverence to an archaic system of government where sovereignty is bestowed upon a select group of inbred Germans. <laughs> Great Britain, where a genuine OHS issue is literally dying of shame. It's actually hard to believe that there's been a Today FM fuck-up that actually didn't involve Carl Sanderlands. It seems that the public and the media are desperately willing his involvement in this tragedy anyway. <laughs> Today FM issued a statement on their Facebook page and here are some of the replies to that statement. Tim Marshall writes... They'll probably get someone like Vile Carl to put out a statement defending the station. That bloke will get involved somehow. On Twitter, Madam Dixon twatted... Hashtag Today FM. Now can we please get rid of Carl Sanderlands? As a radio station, you're failing hard. 3AW's John Michael Hausen said... If it was all stereo, it was sincere about changing the tonic antics, it would have sacked its biggest star, Carl Sanderlands. 
Uh, sorry, that was going to be John Howard. Uh, <laughs> said, yeah, I'm, I'm Michael, Rory Bremner, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Michael Fitzgerald said, Hope you're, then that's spelt uh, Y-O-U-R, uh, proud of yourselves, let's, no apostrophe, see something smart spew from Kyle's, no apostrophe, dribbling mouth now. And finally, James Willis informs us, I used to live in Brisbane and am familiar with Kyle Sanderlands. Might have known he'd have had some involvement. <laughs> and just what was Kyle Sanderlands' involvement in all of this? Well, he went on holiday. For those that truly hate Kyle Sanderlands, this is probably the worst thing to happen. When Kyle Sanderlands is on the radio, people feel like committing suicide, but they very rarely do. Now, has anyone on this panel been a part of a team that's done a stunt that's gone horribly wrong? Anyone? Has anyone, anyone been on this? Anyone been on this? I, um, I did offer crack pepper once to someone who was allergic to crack pepper. And I've had to live with that every day of my life. Well, no, well Chris, seriously, you, you've done a few sketches in your life, that, uh, a few pranks in your life. Have you had any hairy moments doing pranks out in public? Look, this is a, a genuinely awful story. Um, and kind of beyond comedy in a way. I, 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 I mean, the, the one that me and the other Chaser guys have been sort of discussing in the last couple of days is, is Apex. And we were just going, Apex generally regarded by most people in the community as a sort of a triumph of larrikinism or irreverence and, and that kind of thing. But if the, if the junior officer, if the poor cop on the street who'd waved our motorcade through had um, taken the same course of action as this nurse had done through public humiliation, that would be an unbearable thing to live with. And I, I imagine we would have shut down the show. And so I, I have huge sympathy with these presenters and what they're going through. No one, no one expects stuff like that to happen. And um, we've kind of been lucky, I guess, that you know, these guys have been very unlucky that something so unforeseen and tragic has happened. Will, um, when you were doing radio on Triple J, what, kind of, what were the different... When you moved, then you moved to Triple M. Yeah. And I know, I know you live and work in the States now, so feel free to say whatever you like. I will. <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of different pressures do you have working in a commercial radio station versus Triple J? Well, uh, look, here's the thing. Let's not just completely defend Triple J. I got in a lot of trouble at Triple J <laughs> uh, when Richard Olsen uh, was the communications minister. And uh, Richard Olsen was going after the ABC for being biased against the government at the time. So there was a news report on Triple J Breakfast, which is the reason that people aren't allowed to comment off the back of news reports on Triple J Breakfast anymore. This is literally the moment where that ended forever because I said this. Now, the news report said, Richard Olsen uh, said today that the ABC is biased against the government. And I said off the back of poor old Karen Barlow, I said, uh, oh, come on. He just reckons that because he's a right-wing pig root. <laughs> Now, clearly, that was a joke at the expense of the ABC, that we were left-wing, right? But he didn't take it like that. That was on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald. It was on the front page of the Herald Sun in Melbourne. My mum rang me up. She was like, when did people start caring what you think? <laughs> I had to make a public apology. This is true. I had to tell people, I said, look, Richard Alston did not root pigs. The pigs said no. Even pigs have standards. <laughs> Well, uh, joining us on the line now is someone who is certainly, uh, certainly no stranger to the prank call. Uh, hello, uh, Guido Hatsitz. Are you there, Guido? Mate, it's me. Uh, well, I can't believe uh, you. <laughs> now, uh, mate. Yeah, go ahead, Guido. What do you think about all of this? Well, mate, I haven't heard the call because, you know, I'm like Elmer Fish, mate. I do not listen to the prank phone call that I have on me. We can't hear you. That's because the phone is on Vodafone. But um, uh, I heard a rumour that you're going to have all of your arias stripped. Is, is this right? Mate, uh, that is bullshit, mate. Mate, they will have to take those arias from my cold dead hair covered head. <laughs> Guido Hatsitz. Oh, it took me months. It took me months to individually intimidate every member of the voting panel. <laughs> <laughs> Guido Hatsitz, thanks for joining us. It's been something of a non-pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Guido us, everyone. Now, over the weekend, Southern Cross, uh, Southern Cross Osteria suspended all advertising on Today FM as a preemptive move to avoid listener backlash that, that kind of happened with 2GB and Alan Jones earlier in the year. Unfortunately for Alan, however, not many of his sponsors signed back onto his program. He even lost the sponsorship of his Mercedes-Benz. But he's hanging in on there because uh, there is one brave sponsor willing to pay for a spot. 
Oh, yes, well, absolutely. It's a, it's a tragedy and a travesty. It's an absolute disgrace. I am a victim of online trolls and bullying. Oh, that's right, Alan. You're not like that at all. You're a nice man. Oh, yes, you're absolutely right, Joyce. Thank you. And let me tell you, if I ever meet those bullies face to face, I'll strangle them with a chaff bag and dump them in the ocean and make them swim back. Oh, changing pace now. Now, let me tell you something. If you're a brand or a product that's looking for a bit of attention, there is one radio program that's guaranteed you front and centre of the Australian media. That's the Alan Jones Breakfast Show on 2GB. Oh, Alan Jones is the country's leading broadcaster that talks direct to that prized demographic of cool people who deny climate change aged 48 to death. And right now, you can buy a 30-second spot for next to nothing. Or you could buy a 30-minute live read for the low, low price of a short-term lease on a brand-new luxury car. The Alan Jones Breakfast Show, where radio advertising is going for a song. Oh, hopefully as beautifully crafted as Anthony Kalia's songs. Oh, my goodness, what a voice. Oh, heavenly. If you miss out on this opportunity, you'll be the one dying from embarrassment. Oh, dear me. Good job. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Abbott! Thanks, everybody. Um, so we've covered all the, the hard topics so far, so I thought I'd move on to uh, child abuse and the Royal Commission, because, you know, just to bring the, the level of the tone of the room up a little bit. Um, before we start, I should say that I'm a bit biased on this subject because I, I feel it's actually a form of abuse um, just to teach children that there is, you know, a judgmental man in the sky who remembers everything they do and, you know, will punish them if they fall on the long, wrong side of his special ledger, um, which is why I won't be teaching my children about Santa Claus. Um, uh, um, but, yeah, no, in, in all fairness, um, the, the Royal Commission into, into child abuse, it came about as all these allegations were made against the Catholic Church. Catholic Church, as, as you may not know, is actually a tax-exempt institution, um, doesn't pay any tax, which I thought was interesting, you know. They, they say that nothing's certain in this world but death and taxes, and the Catholics seem to have found a way around both of them. Um, but my feeling really is, if you're, if you're the primary subject of a royal commission into child abuse, you should probably be paying tax. You know, like, I don't... I, you know, like, I, I don't know what magical kind of criteria they have for choosing what institutions are so good that they don't have to pay a cent in tax... But I would say a good place to start is that they don't participate in organised pedophilia. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, like, I think it wouldn't be difficult. You know, we just put, you know, there could be just another question on your e-tax. You guys use e-tax. It's like, you know, are you a veteran? Are you a primary carer? Are you on a disability allowance? Are you the primary subject of a royal commission into child abuse? You know, for how many days of the year have you been the primary subject of royal commission into child abuse? Like, and people say this is an anti-Catholic thing. It's, it's got nothing to do, as far as I'm concerned, with the Catholics, all right? My, my policy is, blanket rule, from now on, the tax-free threshold for pedophiles should be zero. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I thought that was going to really finish on a, on a winner there. I'm going to move on to... Um... So was I. So Seriously, was I. I, when I wrote that, I thought it was so good, I Googled it to make sure no one had said it first. Um... And that was pretty good. As a, yeah. Yeah. Scott Abbott, everyone! Teenagers out of control. Damaging reckon, their health. Their weapon of choice, alcohol. I reckon not only has no one said it before, no one's ever going to say it after. Yeah, that, <laughs> there's a good reason why no one you've heard of has made that joke. Now, uh, Tony Abbott doesn't want to confine the Royal Commission to the Catholic Church. Um, why did he say that, Chris Taylor? Well, obviously, they're, they're quite, um, uh, quite a minor player when it comes to um, <laughs> abuse. So, I mean, when you're looking at religions who are really culpable at this kind of thing, I'm, um, I'm looking at Hindus. Um, They've got be, a lot of hands. They're gods with wandering hands. They can be fiddling eight kids at once. There's I the one with the big trunk. Where's that going? Like, that's where I'd be pointing the finger. I think they all should, should look at um, Elmo's World. Yeah. They have, like, really good access to children and... <laughs> They're checking on that. <laughs> uh, that's great. Now, there have been a lot of royal commissions and inquiries lately. Um, ha has there been an opportunity for an inquiry that the Gillard government has missed? Um, Lewis? Well, yeah. Did you hear that they're bringing back Spicks and Specs? <laughs> uh, like, can someone look into that? Hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to host it to <laughs> just fuck with the heads of people who thought I did in the first place. 
Well, if you'd like me to take off the bottom half of your leg, I can do that. Imagine if I did that. I said, I'm willing to host Fix and Specs if I lose my leg. Now, one of, the, one of the biggest inquiries to make news this year was the Leveson inquiry into ethics and press, and in particular, phone hacking and the power that the media has over the political process in Great Britain. The man who headed it up the inquiry, Justice Levinson, is so famous in the UK that he's had to take a break and run away here to Sydney. But it's not all bad. He's exploiting his newfound fame by setting up an automated 0055 hotline to make some quick cash on the side. Leveson Inquiries Hotline, where I'll share with you a new inquiry every day. Dear Justice Leveson, I never thought this would happen to me, but the other day I found myself listening in on a hot phone conversation between Kate Middleton and Rebecca Brooks. Woohoo! Is this wrong? Dear Justice Leveson, so you know the head of a terrorist organization has planted a bomb somewhere in London, but he's left the time and coordinates of the attack on Hugh Grant's voicemail. Is it okay to hack his voicemail and save the lives of thousands? Dear Justice Leveson, how old is too old to breastfeed? Asians, discuss. To find out the weather, press 1. To hear the news of the world, press 2. If you want to contact Mr. Murdoch, don't worry, he's probably already listening. Hey, Rupert, you listen to this, are you? No, of course not. James is. Hello, James. Right, say, say hello to the three children for me. When are you moving into Muppet Mansion? Ladies and gentlemen, that was Jazz Twemlow. Well done. Next up, Nina Oyama. Hi everyone. Look, I think it's fair to say that the day you turn 18, you are legally an adult. I mean, sure you still live at home and are completely financially supported by your parents, but now you can watch R-rated films, go clubbing, and best of all, you don't have to bribe homeless people to buy you alcohol anymore. <laughs> I say this because despite being a teenager who graduated high school only one month ago, I feel like I've grown up so fast you can hardly tell. In fact, the only way I can explain this transition into adulthood is that I feel kind of like a Charmeleon who's evolved into a Charizard. It's um, a Pokemon reference. Um, anyway... And yet, like, as someone legally old enough to, to own a credit card and a driver's license, I believe I should be able to take full responsibility for organising my school leaving celebrations. In other words, I retain the right as a grown-up member of society to go and get totally fucking wasted at schoolies! Yeah! And look, I know schoolies gets a bad rep for binge drinking, getting arrested, and having more underage sex than the Catholic Church and the Elmer's World combined. <laughs> Um, in fact, if you Google schoolies, the results are a live-streamed waterfall of stupidity, much like the Q&A hashtag on a Monday night. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just disregard that. I think of schoolies like Christmas beetles. They're annoying, they come out in November, they generally fly to their destination, and often they're found dead under balconies. <laughs> Although sometimes it turns out they're just sleeping. But no, we are all adults at schoolies, except for the 17-year-olds with the fake IDs. We are all adults! Right. I mean, like, mentally and physically, you know? Like, we have the right to vote, although it's pretty easy to guess who we're going to vote for. That's right, the sex party, because we're adults physically. Um, but, you know, we're just a bunch of grown-ups who want to get fucked up. You know, like, YOLO, you only live once. And look, let's talk about YOLO for a second. I feel like YOLO's been recently tagged as carpe diem for stupid people, which I don't necessarily... I don't think that is true. Um, like, in the movie Dead Poet Society, the guy who embodied carpe diem um, ended up killing himself. And I can't help thinking that maybe if he said YOLO, he would have just gone on vacation to Bali and bought a pet monkey and lived. You know? Who's stupid now? Um... You know, don't hate on the word YOLO just because your little sister said it before she got accidentally pregnant. <laughs> YOLO? YOLO has literary cred. It was almost named Oxford Dictionary's Word of 2012, only just beaten by the word GIF. The funny thing is, though, when you combine the words GIF and YOLO, you get a moving picture of Kesha vomiting glitter onto a dick. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, like I've been studying for the HSE for the past 13 years, I've also spent those years preparing equally as much for the craziness of schoolies. When I was in year 11, I smoked marijuana. And this year I tried ecstasy one time. So now I'm a grown-up. Um, and I'm totally ready to try hard drugs at the Gold Coast. In fact, I'm kind of looking forward to it because I saw it in a Rihanna video clip and it looks totally fun and safe. Um, she's a great idol and role model for my generation. In fact, I actually heard she really tried heroin in order to be able to realistically portray the effects of the drug in her video clip. Um, I think that's called methadone acting. Well done. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say, though, is that although we at schoolies are legally adults, like, just don't be too hard on us when we do reckless, stupid stuff. Like, ten years ago, most of us were eight. Um, <laughs> yeah. Think of that when you're jerking off to teen porn as well. Just like... Um, but it's, it's a big jump from the naughty step to jail. Um, thank you, everyone. Nina Ayama! Now, uh, my brother met his wife at schoolies on the Gold Coast when he was a toolie. Uh, <laughs> absolutely true. Does true. he know you've just said that? Uh, no, uh, if he listens to FBI, which he so, no, doesn't. He's that... probably listening to Ray Hadley <laughs> This will right give now. Channel 10 ideas. Toolie wants a wife. <laughs> 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 um, a toolie's the real threat here. Zoe Norton Lodge. Um, they weren't on my schoolies because I went on a cruise and it was all schoolies except for one couple who had the worst travel agent in the world. <laughs> like a 60-year-old couple who were the only people who weren't 18 on our schoolies trip. And I have to say, they had a good time sounds, after, after they kind of woke up from their stroke. <laughs> that sounds like a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Will? Uh, look, uh, firstly, um, how fucking good was Nina? And the whole, the whole time she was doing her bit, I was like, I could be her dad. <laughs> uh, so, firstly, Tooley. And... Um, the second thing is, we, like, there's some people saying we have to ban like, schoolies from the Gold Coast. That is so unfair on the Gold Coast because the Gold Coast is the only place that when schoolies comes to town, the IQ goes up. <laughs> At least there's a bunch of people who finish year 12. <laughs> now, overseas destinations seem to be more fashionable these days. Do you see the school... Where do you, where, I mean, where do you guys see schoolies as an event like in 10 years' time? Well, Send them to Gaza. You know, like, <laughs> Whatever they do, they're not going to fuck the place any more up than it already <laughs> Well, like, I, I think Bali will probably grow in terms of schoolies. I'm just concerned because schoolies is a big drug culture. And, um, like, I think we've sort of learned from Chappelle Corby that you shouldn't bring drugs to Bali <laughs> in, a, in a boogie board. So, like, everyone, uh, schoolies, future advice, put them in your asshole. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're back to the Catholic Church. A rational fear because being reasonable doesn't sell papers. A rational fear. 2013 Future Predictions. In the year 2013, Joseph Coney is spotted leaving a Ugandan TV studio after appearing on a local version of Where Are They Now? He is eventually caught autographing his own merchandise. Now, all Uganda has to worry about is literally everything else in their country. <laughs> Chris Taylor! Nina was great. Um, I, I haven't really prepared a, uh, a party piece or anything to say. I was just going to um, give some consumer advice. With um, Christmas coming up, it's always a bit of a bitch to know what to buy, the uncle or the niece. Um, so I've just got a catalogue of um, books that you might want to uh, consider as a gift idea this Christmas. Some fabulous things from the ABC shop. Let's kick this off. Um, Ranling, the complete book of the series. <laughs> Relive all 242 episodes of the much-loved TV show featuring the complete transcripts, justifications, official ABC apologies and the raft of Amnesty International petitions begging for the show's contestants to be released from their blazers. For lovers of Dan Brown, his latest one charts the bizarre rituals and mysterious cover-ups that take place in a secretive Catholic sect. In his new novel, The St John's College Code. Almost topical. Still on fiction, there's Bryce Courtney's Thank Fuck, I'm Finally Dead. 
The heartbreaking true story of a barely literate man who couldn't stop writing novels about potato factories and selling them at Coles. I'd recommend the audiobook version where he just dies halfway through the read. The Chaser, still proudly making fun of dead people. This show's not really going out to radio. Hey, is there a Molly Mildred joke? It's coming, it's coming. Or why not revisit a classic? A Passage to India, Apple Maps edition, where the passage described somehow ends up taking the protagonist to Guatemala. For foodies, there's plenty of treats, including the complete Instagram photos of food taken by female Asian bloggers. It's got every amateur photograph of food that's ever been taken. Photos of meals, photos of the bread roll on the side, photos of that olive oil dish that you dip your bread into, all lovingly photographed by young Asians who, as far as I can tell, don't go to restaurants to eat the food, but only to photograph it. Also includes a beautiful bonus section of Asians taking photographs of other Asians taking photographs of food. Still on food, Bill Granger's got a new cookbook called How Many Pictures of My Children Do I Need to Put in This Book for Me to Look Slightly Less Gay? For political buffs, there's the complete text messages of Peter Slipper. Which itself also doubles as a cookbook with over 30 great ideas for things to do with muscles. In political biographies, we have Philip Ruddock's long-awaited autobiography, 51 Shades of Grey. That was my version of Scott, I just thought, yeah. Speaking of 50 Shades of Grey, there's a new spin-off, 50 Shades of Grey Scratch and Sniff Edition. Enjoy all the aromas of stale sperm, pubic sweat, and the beguiling smell of rolls and rolls of money being printed and handed to an undeserving author whose grasp of narrative sexual tension wouldn't even land her a job writing an ad for Amy featuring Ronda and Katoot. <laughs> there are some great celebrity memoirs out this Christmas too. Molly Meldrum's written, Long Way to the Top of the Ladder. Yeah. Just for Lewis. Just for Lewis. Thank you, it's the contractually obliged Molly yeah. joke. Some great sporting memoirs out too. In Punter, the Ricky Ponting story. Ricky Ponting talks about the amazing highs and lows of being Australia's most successful and prolific advertiser of Swiss vitamins. There's also a great memoir out from Black Caviar, in my own words. She's a horse, so she doesn't have many words. Quite a, quite a short book, to be honest. Journalist Paul Barry has updated one of his great best-selling biographies, The Rise and Rise of Kerry Packer Actors. <laughs> forward by Rob Carlton. In the first edition, second edition, Lockie Hume does the forward. Yeah. And if you like, um, if you like Australian biographies, Peter Fitzsimons has got sixteen brand new ones just out in time for Christmas. He's already written about all the Australians of any remote note, so the new titles include Gary, some bloke I got talking to at a corporate breakfast. Sheila, a woman I once sat next to on a plane. And Herman, the guy I buy my fucking bandanas from. And finally, there's something for non-fiction buffs too. Richard Dawkins has come out with a new subtly and sensitively argued piece of academia. God is a cunt. I haven't read it personally, but I'm sure it's very balanced. Happy reading and happy Christmas. Chris Having recovered from his balloon jump in 2012, in 2013, Austrian daredevil Felix Baumgartner dies tragically in a dramatic yet equally hilarious attempt to beat the record for the world's highest helium balloon voice. Ladies and gentlemen, Zoe Norton This is a eulogy to a TV show that just died. It's called Channel 10 Breakfast. It was hosted by a guy called Paul Henry. He was a massive dick. <laughs> there is a man who lived in my TV. He also lived in your TV, but sometimes he was very hard to see. In fact, one week, no one saw him in Perth. Literally, no one. His name is Paul Henry, and he's like the Where's Wally of breakfast telly if Wally visited a preschool with a bomb strapped to his chest. 
While on Channel 7, Koshi and Mel wax innocuous about the carbon tax and on 9, Carl Stefanovic invents crises like something called Paddle Pop Gate and asks how often on average women menstruate. Every morning over on Channel 10, someone was shouting like no one was watching because no one was watching because Paul Henry be crazy. Paul Henry be crazy like a man who shakes a baby. Now, I can't say for certain that he ever shook a baby, but he definitely hit his four-year-old daughter in the face with an axe. I can speak about Paul Henry without hesitation because I recently escaped from a hostage situation where I had to watch all two and a half hours of Channel 10 breakfast every day. And I find myself here tonight on this, the final shimmer of twilight in the do not go gentle into that good night final firelight of Channel 10 breakfast's wonderful life because it's been axed because, God, it was really shit. And because no one deserves to die alone, I ask you to sit with me in the death rattle dark and let me share with you the thoughts Paul Henry shared with me on Channel 10 Breakfast. Here is a short excerpt from the list of things Paul Henry hates. Paul Henry hates his co-host, Kath Robinson. Paul Henry hates the Dalai Lama. Paul Henry hates homeless people. Paul Henry hates sand. Paul Henry hates skirts. Paul Henry hates lunch. Paul Henry hates the reply all button. Paul Henry hates the average woman at home. Paul Henry hates the Mai Tai Resort in Port Douglas. Paul Henry hates rubbing. Paul Henry hates the size of Olympic gold medals. Paul Henry hates cyclists. Paul Henry hates Darwin. Paul Henry hates dogs and Paul Henry hates back fat. Now, here is an, ex here is an exhaustive, exhaustive list of things Paul Henry likes. Paul Henry likes Peter Stuyvesant cigarette packets and Paul Henry likes asking female reporters to do a twirl when he interviews them. Here are some things Paul Henry believes. Paul Henry believes Olympic athletes have a fiscal responsibility to Australian taxpayers to perform well. Paul Henry believes that whipping children and women asylum seekers as they get off the boats would send a good message. Paul Henry believes he saw a UFO at Stonehenge and Paul Henry believes he was raped by emus to quote, I was actually raped by multiple emus. Now, I can't quite remember what it was that he said, who he said was inbred, which celeb he said was overfed, or which race of people that he wished dead on that particular day when something in me changed. All I remember is that as I stared at the TV, a hot feeling that wasn't we came over me when Paul Henry described in graphic detail an old person dying from hypothermia and I fucking pissed myself. And you can judge me all you want because if you'd have been watching too, there would have been a point when all of you came to like Paul Henry when he said something about, you know, fat people or the National Disability Insurance Scheme. And you'd have caught yourself losing your shit and wiping the streaming tears from your eyes and clapping your hands. And then you would have looked deep into the ugliest corner of your imperfect soul and seen a little piece of Paul Henry, for he lives in all of us. And because he lives in all of us, we will not forget. We will not forget that he called Kirstie Alley a nightmare on legs. We will not forget that he looked at a picture of a pregnant Jessica Simpson and said, oh, she's a monster. We will not forget that he, said that he said that Princess Beatrice looked like a toilet. And we will not forget that he told a woman, a civilian woman, who had come on his show to discuss her personal battle with obesity and depression. We will not forget that Paul Henry said to this woman that she should know that when she looks in the mirror, she is not beautiful. Paul Henry, live fast and die young and don't let that sun that you flew so close to burn you on your way out of here, my rocket man. Go now! Go now and shoot into the sky and every time we look up above and see a turtle dove fly by a cloud that looks a bit like a Ku Klux Klan man, we will know it's you watching over us from your home planet, planet Massive Cockhead! Norton Lodge! Wow. Who on earth made you watch all of that Paul Henry footage? Um, Chris. <laughs> Chris Taylor. Who would do that, uh, that to a person? What kind of person do does that? Do you know how that? many hernias I have now? 
Now, in November, a leading funds manager, Lawrence Friedman, said that maybe we only need two commercial free-to-air networks because advertisers only advertise on two. What do you guys think will happen to all those people who work at Channel 10? Is this you just looking for work um, after you... Don't you work at Channel 10? Yeah, I am, actually. Um, <laughs> it depends. Think... I think there are some people that work at Channel 10 now. I used to work at Channel 10. I think the government's starting a make-TV for the doll scheme, um, also known as the ABC. <laughs> I think it's, uh, yeah, isn't, isn't, isn't Channel 10... It, it's, it's partly owned by Gina Reinhart. Surely she can just put them all to work down the mine. Yeah, but none of the programming executives know how to find anything of value. <laughs> now, is hey, there my a... school was on that show. <laughs> what, what, what can we do to get people watching Channel 10 again? How do we fix Channel 10? I, I got in trouble once. Um, I, it was back when Paris Hilton was coming out to Australia for Channel 7. And remember that? She was out for the races and she got out of a cab and she didn't have any undies on. And people got really upset, and Channel 7 dropped her from the lineup. I used to do a joke in my act. I was like, if that had been Channel 10, they would have actually used that as a promo, and they would have painted her clitoris blue and got Millsy to. <laughs> right? That's what they should do as their promo. That will bring them back. <laughs> A rational fear. Just like a free-to-air television network, we also have an audience less than a million. 2013 In 2013, it will be revealed that as a uni student, Prime Minister Julia Gillard and her flatmates pooled their money in summer to form a slushy fund. Ladies and gentlemen, Will Anderson! Bless. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to talk about gay marriage because that was quite a big issue this year. Um, I assume I don't have to explain my position on gay marriage, but let's just do the stats if we could. There's about 150 people in this room tonight, one in 10 people are gay. That means at least 15 people sitting in this room tonight are probably gay. Let's be honest, a bit higher because we're at an arts event on a Monday night in the inner city. (laughs) I'm going to say two out of 10 gay, three after enough drinks, right? But I was just down the road from him. I was literally on William Street, which is outside this building, when this story happened, so I thought it was a good story for tonight. It was on Sydney Gay Mardi Gras Day, and if you remember that day, clearly it was flooding rain that day. So I had to get a cab. So I was standing on William Street, and I'd been in the rain for like about 10 minutes. I was soaking wet, and I finally flagged the cab. And this cab driver hated me from the minute I got in the car. He was like, oh, no, you, mate. Oh, no, you, mate. Mr. Funny Man, off of the telly. Well, if you're so funny, mate, why don't you tell me a joke right now and I will decide if you are funny or not. And I was like, oh, my God, I did not know that Carl Sanderlands was driving cabs. (laughs) That is not actually what I said to that man. I said to him what I would say to anyone in that situation. Mate, I love jokes. I love jokes. I'm the best comedy audience of all time. Like, if you tell me a joke, I will laugh at your joke, no matter if I understand it or not, because I... (laughs) understand the rhythms of comedy. So if you tell me a joke, I'll be like, ha And then I will go home and I will Google that shit. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh my God, that was funny. I'll send you a tweet, lol. Uh, but I can't remember jokes. So to defuse the situation, he turned on the Talkback Radio. Now, it was Sydney Gay Mardi Gras Day. This is an absolutely true story. I've not changed one word of this story. This is the four calls I heard on Sydney Gay Mardi Gras Day to the radio station. They certainly did not agree with me. The first guy who rang up made my favourite anti-gay argument. He goes, they've never even found a gay gene. That is my personal favourite anti-gay argument, but for a weird personal reason. When I bought my house, I moved in next to a guy called Gene, who is gay as. <laughs> so every time I hear some dickhead on the radio, he'd be like, we can't find the gay Gene. I'm like, number 23 Russell Street. <laughs> Real address. He's delightful. The next guy who rang the radio station said this, I was walking down Oxford Street today, I saw two blokes holding hands. It was disgusting. Now, he's entitled to that opinion, but it just showed how differently he and I view the world. Because if I saw two blokes holding hands, I, I would not ring a radio station about that. I'd just like, fucking aw- awesome, high five. Life's great, right? I live half of my life in a place called West Hollywood. It's the gayest man place on earth. If you have ever been there, you can't go to the shops in the morning to get the paper without seeing two men holding hands. And I love it. I love it. Because I'm in America. And if I see two men holding hands... That means two hands that do not have guns. (laughs) If they have a cock in each of the other hands, here's what I feel, safe. (laughs) The next guy who rang the radio station didn't even bother coming up with a bad excuse. He just said this, and he was my favourite. He just said, I'm not ready yet. (laughs) 
in some ways that's my favourite of the calls, right? Because that implies that he feels like there's some process he needs to go through to get ready for this. Just a couple of more minutes, I need some more yoga and a bucket of loop. Uh, <laughs> you seem to have misunderstood the question, mate. It's not going to be compulsory. <laughs> The next guy who rang the radio station that morning was a bloke called the Reverend Fred Noel. The Reverend Fred Noel rang the radio station that morning to make this uh, call, ladies and gentlemen, and I've not changed one word of this. He said, God has sent these floods to Sydney today because God does not like gay marriage, the gay Mardi Gras, or gay attitudes in Australia. Now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, even if you believe in uh, God, even if you think that God might be the sort of God that would send a flood to Earth as a message to all humanity, that is still the most flawed logic I have ever heard in my life. Because who are the only people that he has left on floats? <laughs> all I'm saying is, Fred, if you're looking for a sign, Tiger, <laughs> you might have spotted the wrong sign. God's obviously looked at the job that the straight people and the animals did last time and went, fuck them, let's let the gays have a go. Uh, I think that's me, that'll yeah. do, right? Will Anderson! <laughs> now, since the US election, 12 states allow marriage now, uh, allow gay marriage in that country now. Just what will it take for lawmakers here to allow marriage of same-sex couples, um, Nina? Oh, no, I just... Oh, I, I can answer that one. I think that if they maybe did an MBA and realised how much money they would make um, from amazing gay receptions and weddings... You mean fabulous could, gay receptions and I weddings? I mean fabulous ones. I think it could really so solve the global economic crisis. <laughs> I think I'd rather that all of America allows gay marriage before Australia because it would just mean that Americans are procreating slower. <laughs> <laughs> OK. You know, I, um, that's a joke I told in my show this year. and I, lit I told that show in Adelaide and this angry lesbian girl came up to me in the show and she was so angry at me. She was like, I really enjoyed your show. And I was like, then that is the wrong voice to be using. <laughs> she said, I really enjoyed your show, but I did not like that one routine about the floats. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she goes, well, you haven't thought that through. Eventually we'll be forced to repopulate the species. <laughs> Irrational fear. If you don't listen, that's an insult to God. Thanks, Tom. Uh, so, as you all know, the world is going to end on the 21st of December, which is good news for at least two Today FM hosts. <laughs> we know the world is ending because of, of a prediction from the Mayans, a group of lazy South Americans who gave us nothing but chocolate. They were like the Swiss, basically, but with more human sacrifices. Apart from chocolate, the Mayans also gave us a calendar that predicts the apocalypse, which makes it the second scariest calendar in the world behind anything made by Ann Geddes. <laughs> now, there are people who genuinely trust the Mayans and their calendar, even though this ancient civilization was smart enough to invent chocolate and calendars, but never thought about putting the two of them together in a countdown to Christmas. <laughs> Yeah, there are some cultists taking this very seriously. NASA have been receiving legitimate suicide calls and the US government have issued a formal statement saying the Mayan calendar has no scientific basis. But these cultists still think the 21st of December is it for them and us and everyone. So here's a speech I imagine will be delivered by the leader of the modern Mayan cult to his followers on the morning of the 22nd of December, 2012. <clears throat> well, here we are then. Surprise! <laughs> First, of course, we mourn those most dedicated of the apocalypse and the afterlife it promised. At 11.59pm last night, Phil, Janine and Pedro all took their own lives. Pedro, we all laughed when you said, see you guys in a minute. He was, he was such a joker. Next... We all said some things at last night's apocalypse party I'm pretty sure we regret. <laughs> Jose, if I knew you were still going to be alive today, I wouldn't have told you I envy your daughter's ability to grow facial hair. Now, we all gave away everything we owned to fund that rather extravagant end-of-the-world shindig last night. I know we all felt very liberated ridding ourselves of all our material wealth and possessions. But in the cold light of day, burning all our money, clothes and cars does feel a tad hasty. 
At least everyone who ate the diamond-encrusted caviar should be able to survive a few weeks trading in your feces at any open-minded cash converters. <laughs> People often ask, what would you do if it was your last night on Earth? We certainly found out last night, didn't we? For, for Janet, my lovely wife, it was adultery. <laughs> Colin, oh Colin, your nude karaoke version of My Heart Will Go On, performed with your penis tucked into your rectum, will live in my memory longer than a Celine Dion high note. Thank you. No matter what happened last night, we were all in it together. Except for you, Steve. <laughs> Steve, Steve, as you will have seen, spent all our last night on Earth party telling us the world wasn't going to end and taking lots of photos. <laughs> Steve... I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you of the modern Mayan social media policy and request that you rem remove the Facebook album Naked Mayan Morons. <laughs> you're a real dick, Steve, you know that? I know I said it to you last night, but I'm saying it to you again. You're a dick, Steve. You're a real dick. Many of you stood here with me the day after Y2K. <laughs> And after Nostradamus' apocalypse date slipped by. Some of you even stood here with me on the day Size Gangnam Style made a worldwide singles chart, meaning people were actually buying the song to listen to at home and at work and maybe when they went for a run. Surely we thought if ever there was a sign the world was on the brink of collapse, it was that, but no. God's willing, the world will still end soon. Not too soon. I bought some shit on eBay and it hasn't arrived yet. <laughs> I don't know exactly how it will happen. Maybe something nuclear. Maybe Skynet. But I'll see you all back here on the eve of Honey Boo Boo's 18th birthday. <laughs> Surely some shit will go down then. Yeah. Lewis Hubbard. Time now. Speaking of the end of the world, it's time now for Barnaby Joyce's travelling show of bullshit. This week on a doorstep, uh, Senator Barnaby Joyce said the following thing directly out of his ass. Well, it's very hot today, so the carbon tax isn't working very well. Today is rather hot, so today will mark as a failure for the carbon tax. Oh, well, well done, Barnaby Joyce. Well done. He has yet to learn the difference between weather events, climate change, and being a goose. But one person who has taken a gander at all the effects of climate change up close is Sydney filmmaker Liz Courtney, who shot... This incredible footage, I don't know if you saw it, it was on the SMH website, it's also going to be on our Facebook page and Twitter profiles later on, of permafrost melting in the Arctic. It's incredible. If you, if you haven't seen it, just Google, holy shit, what the fuck is happening to our planet? So please give it up and please welcome Liz Courtney. Come on up here, Liz. Thanks for joining us, Liz. Hi, I think if you told me I was going to be sitting here about two weeks ago, I would have said, holy shit, no. <laughs> Is that because of the end of the world or, or you were somewhere else? Well, somebody told me once I would be sitting in the Amazon and I said, no way, and uh, I did, so there you go. Well, you, you went to the Arctic. What, what drives a person to go to the Arctic Circle to film what is ostensibly a melting chocolate cake of dirt? Good question, good question. Um, actually, I had the opportunity of waking up in Antarctica about two years ago after I said I wasn't going to go because I was really scared of the Drake Passage and getting there. But anyway, I went and I think I saw so many things down there that I really wanted to film and tell people about. And it kind of really inspired me to want to do this big series um, about climate change. And that's well, this, what's propelled me. This is a radio show. So if you could describe all of the footage using a lot of adjectives <laughs> and not using the word white. <laughs> no, you know what? In, up in the Arctic actually is where all the permafrost is mounting. And if you guys can just imagine, it's like a huge, huge chocolate fudge cake, which I know sounds really interesting yummy but actually it smells like rotting carcass so you actually when you get close to it it's really stinky really is that because of all the like the decomposing old stuff that's there like mammoths and like carrion and <laughs> well i didn't see any carrion or burt newtons but um but actually where i went was like burt a newton space is <laughs> going through this itself <laughs> but you know it's like going like on a Star Wars set, I think. We took a helicopter and we flew for a couple of hours out into the Arctic and we came across the thing called Stinky Bluff. And it's a huge, huge, huge uh, series of mountains and they're all melting and it's actually chocolate-looking ice. Right, yeah. Uh, that footage on the, on the SMH website is incredible. Yeah. Are the minds right? Is this going to be the end of the world? <laughs> it, 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 what, what? Well, you know, just being serious for one very brief moment because that's something different. Mm. Um, <laughs> 
One well, last dick joke, yeah. anyone, before we get <laughs> into um, you know, when I was just up in Alaska, which I got back from about five weeks ago, what was really surprising was to find out that we're about half a degree off hitting a tipping point in the Arctic where all the permafrost will be committed to melting. And that's the, in the carbon that we hold in the, in the earth. We have twice as much carbon dioxide at the moment trapped in the soil than we do in the atmosphere. So when we actually tip and we start releasing all of that, that's kind of when we hit the holy shit moment. Right, and that's, that's what climate scientists called feedback, is that right? Well, it's like a feedback, but we also call it a tipping point. So, you know, like I think that we have all been so focused on these words, which is global warming and carbon um, dioxide and carbon tax and all the rest of it, but actually it's like a climate system. And I say to everybody, you know, you all have a car, and if you lift up the bonnet in the car, you've got all these things that make the car drive. And so our climate system is really like that. So we've got to stop thinking about it as these little bits. It's like one whole system. And when we make a change to one bit of the system, the car doesn't work as well. It's like being in a lift and all of a sudden one guy farting and just filling up that whole space, like, like the permafrost. Uh, is, is, that a good, is that a good metaphor? Probably not. I regret saying that now. <laughs> uh, I've been yeah. listening closely and what I've picked up so far is I don't have to bother giving up smoking because I'm not going to live that long. Is that what you're saying? Well, you know, like, I think what we should all pick up is that we've got a timeline. It's about 20 years. And I think you should all say to yourself, like, well, what have I done in the last 20 years to make a change, which is probably nothing. So that's okay. <laughs> well, but... why did you look at right at me when you said that? But I've got those low energy efficient light bulbs. So, you know, I've done my bit, I feel. But I think the bigger question is, like, what are we all going to do in the next 20 years? Because that's when the big change is. And what Nothing can we for do? you after you burnt me here. <laughs> I'm going to go home and burn some tyres in my backyard. How do you like that, environment lady? I don't know. I reckon you'd enjoy the next trip. <laughs> I'm going to watch Happy Feet while burning tyres. Take that, environment. Yeah. Well, is. is... Basically, what Will's saying is we're fucked, right? No, we actually have about 20 years to make some fairly major changes. And it's not so much so that, it's not that... It's not so much that we're fucked, but it's basically that we actually have to start making some changes. And we have to start adapting. And I think the word is adaptation. Is that fitting better with you? Adaptation? Well, I can't wait for when Will gets headlines in the papers just saying, I'm going to burn tyres. Like. <laughs> City confidential. It just To be honest with me, what you say, are saying to me is like, in 20 years it's all going wrong, so we might as well just go for it now. Yeah, but you know, like, I get up every morning and make three lunches and I look at my kids and I think, like, we really have to do something. So it's yeah, like, but I don't know your kids. <laughs> <laughs> They're very my, nice. my cats are all going to be dead by then. <laughs> I'm going to die being drowned as the harbour rises while I'm doing coke off my cat's back. Coca-Cola, the beverage, where you get five right. cents for every right. bottle in South Australia. What's the takeaway from your work with Tipping Point? What, what do you want people to learn? I think what, you know, we all just need to start to realise that we've got about 20 years and we've got to make some fairly um, important changes and that starts at a government level. So everybody, like, pass the word on. Please thank Liz Courtney. Yeah. Now, before we go, we have to leave you with what you should be scared about next year. Here's Zoe Norton Lodge with the top three fearsome fears. All right, in order to save cash, Channel 9 announces a series of cheaper programs, including 16 Minutes, Farmer Wants Alone, and Hamish and Andy's Staycation. Serial <laughs> football code swapper Israel Falu comes out of the closet saying, I guess I always wanted to bat for the other team. And finally, the Chaser team will go into witness protection after the release of their salient, if not ill-timed, musical feature film, The Innocence of Christian. Thank you very much. This has been Irrational Fear. It's produced for FBI Radio by Dan Illick, Dan Nash, Nina Agzarian, Tom Lowndes, written by Alice Fraser, Seton K. Smith, Jazz Swimler, James Colley, Dave Bluestein, Mark Humphreys, Dylan Bain. Thanks to our guests, Will Anderson, Zoe Norton Lodge, Scott Abbott, Nina Oyama, Chris Taylor, Lewis Homer, and Liz Courtney. Special thanks to Ben Covey, Amanda Jessup, Kimberly Gausser, and our boss, Caroline Gates. Follow us on Irrational Fear on social media, and remember there's always something to be scared of. John Deeks, not speaking! Irrational Fear!
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.